1: Today I'm talking to Eric Mazel about developing a daily practice so you can finally meet your goals. Dr. Mazel, PhD, is the author of more than 50 books on creativity and personal growth. Widely regarded as America's foremost creativity coach, he is a retired family therapist and a noted leader in the movement known as critical psychology. He writes the Rethinking Mental Health blog for Psychology Today and facilitates creativity and writing workshops around the world. His most recent book is called The Power of Daily Practice. Dr. Mazel, welcome to Your Superpowered Mind. Hi,
2: Kristen, it's great to be with you.
1: Thank you. I as I mentioned before we got started, I looking through all that you have done and all that you Um, put out into the world. There is so much going on um, for you. I I can't wait to hear about some of it and share that. Um, My first question is always, what superpower did you uncover as the result of mastering your mind?
2: Well, I think it's the subject of the book and it's the power inherent in getting to something every day. And it sounds obvious enough, but I've been working with creative and performing artists for more than 30 years as a creativity coach. And what I see is that when a client misses two days or three days, they end up missing six months or a year or a decade. The big problem with missing a few days with respect to anything you're trying to get done is not just those few days. That wouldn't be so bad. It's how much time you then miss. Really, the only way to deal with that problem, it's a real problem, is by initiating and maintaining a daily practice. I think that's as simple as it sounds, that's a superpower, having a daily practice. And for creative folks, especially, who try to get their work done after their day job, when they're ready to too tired and often too sad by the end of the day to get to their work, for them, It needs to be a morning daily practice, a first-thing-each-day daily practice. If you get to something that's important to you first thing each day, you'll discover that you're beginning to live your life purposes in a way that you hadn't before.
1: Yes. And, you know, this idea of a practice is, is so huge. And, you know, as a coach, I work with so many around goals that they're not moving toward or not as fast as they would like. And a lot of it centers around having, I don't know, it would be discipline or, or having a practice yeah. to actually do what it takes. Well, Pavarotti, <laughs> there.
2: Pavarotti has a quote I like, which is people say that I'm disciplined, but it's not discipline. It's devotion. And there's a big difference. And there is a big difference. We do need discipline, but we also need devotion and those synonyms to devotion like love and curiosity and enthusiasm and interest. I don't think we can just get things done via discipline. It's too hard to write a 100,000 word novel just by being disciplined. There's something in there you have to be loving. And that's what I try to help clients connect with, the thing that they love in what they're doing. And because often what they're doing is sloggy on any given day, they're not loving it on a given Mm -hmm. day. Then you have to help them remember why they're doing it. And often it's because they fell in love with the thing, whatever the thing is, literature or visual imagery or music. They fell in love with that at the age of five or six or seven, reading a book in a corner or sitting in a darkened theater. That's where the love started. And a lot of my clients have to remember that they loved that then, and that they can love that again.
1: Yes. How, with, with the people, a lot of the people that you work with, are they doing this as a, as of, um, for fun, you know, on the side? Or is it, are these people who are, this is their career? This is what they're devoting their life to.
2: Yeah, I tend to work with self-identified creative performing artists. That is folks who are trying to do this as a career. So, of course, a lot of the work I do has to do with marketplace issues and building confidence and asking for what you want and dealing with the long odds of uh, making it in the marketplace and all of that. And that those are extra challenges and extra burdens. But, yes, I don't work with the, so to speak, person who's trying to make a more creative pea soup, or what have you, the everyday creative person, but rather somebody who's self-identified as a creative artist or a performing artist.
1: Yeah. And in this population, do you find that they also have lost that that devotion? Does it, does it switch into, ah, this is just work?
2: Yeah, most of them have lost that devotion. And, and there's a big reason. It's a little hard to say, but hope I can articulate it. And that is from my point of view, meaning is merely a certain kind of psychological experience. It's not out there somewhere like a lost wallet. It's a certain kind of experience. And as folks are doing their work, as creative folks are doing their work, they're not experiencing the work as meaningful. It's one of the secrets about meaning is that something that we do in the service of meaning may not feel meaningful in the doing. It may just feel sloggy, and like work. So people forget why they're doing what they're doing. And when you have 200 consecutive days of just the work feeling hard, it's really hard to show up for the 201st day. So I have to help folks remember that they're in it for the long game, that writing their novel may produce an experience of meaning only at the end for 17 seconds. (laughs) You know, when they finally put the period at the end of the book, that's a lot of work for a small experience of meaning. But that's how life goes. That's really the creative process, is that we may do a lot of work that doesn't feel meaningful so as to acquire a very brief experience of meaning.
1: So that's very interesting. So, and, and is that motivating to people? Because that almost sounds like it's, um, it's deflating. Because you're, it is true. We are, as humans, we, we hold on to the good for a short period of time and then we move on.
2: <laughs> it, it, from it. It, is, it is motivating in context because I provide a wider context than what I just said. And the wider context is to help people make the paradigm shift from seeking a purpose to life to identifying their life purpose choices. From my point of view, there isn't a purpose to life. Rather, there are only our life purpose choices, the things we deem important. So if a creative person can identify the five or six or seven things he or she deems important, really, there are only about 20 things that human beings find really important, creating and relationships and service and activism and what have you. We could name them. There aren't, there aren't a billion. They're just a handful and so i invite my clients to make that list what's important to you and then to get to as many of those things in a daily way as possible so if writing the novel didn't feel meaningful on that day they have another life purpose choice to turn to in that day maybe it's holding their ha- their kids hand crossing the street for parents that feels very meaningful getting safely across the street yes lots of small things feel meaningful so i try to paint the big picture Of how getting to your creative work for that 20 minutes or that hour or that two hours isn't the whole day you may have to you may have to slog through that hour but you're going to have other meaning opportunities throughout the day
1: yes that is a huge i can see that like i can feel that shift of you're not going to get the meaning from even though this is your huge life work in the day, in that day from that's that right. activity.
2: And the better you celebrate what you did, the more likely you are to have an experience of meaning. I, I try to help folks celebrate showing up, celebrate showing up without attaching to outcomes. You know, if you sit there and, and write 50 words and then take 52 words out, that's not going to feel like a lot of progress. No. <laughs> but if you can celebrate that you showed up, then you may have an experience of meaning from that hour you spent there, even though you have no words to show for it.
1: Right. And maybe the meaning is in and of itself that you're doing what you say is important to you.
2: Exactly. The meaning is pride, I think. Pride in your efforts. Right. Not False pride, not narcissism, not grandiosity, but just the pride we take in doing the things we say we mean to do.
1: Yes. Wow. Okay, I love this paradigm shift. We do need to go to a break before we can go any more you know, deeply into this talk about developing a daily practice. Can you let people know where they can find out more about you, your work, and your new book?
2: The best place is my website, which is myname.com, E-R-I-C-M-A-I-S-E-L.com. That's the place to go.
1: Okay, great. Hang on, everybody, and we will be right back.
0: Hello, everyone. This is Tonya Don Reckla, Executive Director of Superpower Experts. And we want to thank each of you for making Superpower Up the number one podcast network for personal development and spiritual growth. Because people like you have the courage to say that mindfulness, healthy living, disrupting reality, the pursuit of consciousness, responsible entrepreneurship, and radical parenting matter
1: Welcome back, everyone. I'm talking to Dr. Maisel about developing a daily practice. And, you you know, what Dr. Maisel works with are, as you just heard, people who are really in this for their work, but there is so much applicability to us who may be trying to start a meditation practice or continue in our own music or some other um, creative Outlet. I'm I'm finding what you're saying really um, resonating with me, even though I am certainly not in a creative pursuit. Um, Sure, the the idea of daily practice. challenge. Sorry? I was just going to say the
2: idea of daily practice can, can apply to anything that you want to get to that you consider important. If you're trying to recover from an addiction, then you'd have a recovery daily practice. If if you're a spiritual person, you'd have a spirit, a spiritual spirituality or spiritual daily practice. Um, maybe it's a mental health practice. Maybe you're trying to deal with anxiety or depression. Just about anything that human beings have to deal with can be translated into an active daily practice.
1: Most definitely, yes, you're right, and that is a lot of again with working with my own clients and people. We can have these big ahas, but it's the coming back to it every day, coming back to that sense of the where you want to be and, and the thoughts that you're wanting to have um, until they start becoming you again more. So yes, right. thank you for pointing that
0: out.
2: Yeah, and there are, there are lots of obstacles and challenges to practice, which is what makes it so hard to maintain a daily practice over time. I think one of the major obstacles is we have built into us, Americans especially, because it's a metaphor we've lived with for hundreds of years. We have built into us the idea that we're supposed to be making progress, always making progress. In fact, the visual representation of that in the 19th century was the upward spiral, always going up. And if you attach that idea of progress to your daily practice, you can easily get into trouble and not want to get to your practice if for some consecutive days you don't feel like you're making progress. That's why the showing up rather than attaching to the outcome is so important. Now, you will get great outcomes occasionally, (laughs) but they aren't guaranteed and they probably won't come every day. Tchaikovsky said, I'm inspired every fifth day, but I only get that fifth day if I show up the other four days. And I I think that's a good sort of affirmation or mantra or model to remember that we may get the experience we're looking for only every other day or every fourth day or every fifth day, but we're only getting it because we were there all those days that week.
1: Yeah, it's not like you can show up every fifth day (laughs) and have the inspiration. No, and an awful lot of
2: people want to do, that's what they want to do. A lot of people play around with language around inspiration, and I only do it when I feel like it, and this and that. And that's all well and good, but they almost never get their work done that way. And that's fine. If it isn't your real intention to get your work done, so be it. But if you are getting disappointed over the decades by not getting to your real work, then showing up every day makes a huge difference. And by the way, for a creative person, as I mentioned, having it be first thing, not just daily, but first thing is super important for a couple of reasons. One is, of course, if you get to it every day, you'd get a lot done, but also you get to make use of your sleep thinking that way. Your brain has been thinking during the night And if you turn to your creative work first thing, you get to mine that work that your brain has been doing all night. And that's a big deal. And another reason why doing it first thing is so important is if you do it first thing, you'll have the experience of having made some meaning on that day already. And the rest of the day can be half meaningless and you won't get depressed. It's important to get to something real first thing each day.
1: Yes, something that matters. and and w- right, if you have um couched it as something that you love or something you are devoted to instead of something that you have to do, then you're you're starting your day in a way with a gift to yourself almost
2: that's exactly right. and And uh, for somebody who comes up with that metaphor for herself, like you just did, I would have her put that up in big letters right above her computer screen. This is a gift to myself. When we find language, when we find language like that, it's really important to make use of that language uh, around the house, so to speak.
1: Yes, yeah, that's uh, I, it's uh, one of the things I often say to people is make a post it and put the post it those post its. All over your house. Yeah, you you,
2: you say post its. I make people do it in like four feet by six feet. (laughs) It's a little easy to not see a post it, especially as my eyes are going. So I I, I invite folks to do these things really large because we need large reminders.
1: Yes, I I love that. It is so easy not to see them after a while, too. It, well, so, and then this is not necessarily the pe- people that you work with, but I'm thinking maybe some of the listeners. I know a lot of people in this. There are things we want to do. Like my daughter said, um, that, am I, I'm, I'm getting a message that my internet's unstable. Hopefully I'm still coming through. That she really yeah. wanted to go back to viola, playing viola. Mm-hmm. But it was too too hard to make herself do it on her own. So she didn't even start. So what do you you know so that, and I know there are a lot of people who give up before they even start what What do you say to that?
2: Well, simple things. Um, typically, a person in that position thinks that if she doesn't put in two hours, there's no point. And since she doesn't want to put in two hours and maybe doesn't have two hours, then it's easy to skip it. When I ask mm-hmm. a client in that position how, many, how much time she can actually put in, almost always a new client will say 20 minutes. So I start in that very simple place of, can you think you can do it for 20 minutes on a given day? And that shift from I need hours to let me do it for 20 minutes is already a big shift. So I think you can see that I start very simply with folks trying to help them do sort of the smallest steps that they can possibly do. And then I would circle back around to what's important. Mm -hmm. And she's holding the viola is important, but not really. There's a but there. The the viola is important, but it's not really. So solidifying that importance, saying it out loud to other people, the viola matters to me. Thinking thoughts that serve her, for instance, the viola matters to me, rather than, oh, it's too late or it's taken too long or there's too much competition or what have you, I would carefully examine what she says to herself and have her dispute those utterances that don't serve us. So to make a long story short, there would be lots of things to try that are really very simple, ultimately. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little anxiety management, maybe a little little cognitive change, maybe some baby steps, All of that together would make the difference.
1: Yes, that is. And and what I love that you're saying is one of the questions I had to ask you was around, you know, what are the kinds of beliefs people have underneath them that sort of sabotage them? And um, that's it.
2: Lots of them. um, But the main one is that they and their efforts don't matter. That's the main one. Mm -hmm. Um, We're all contemporary enough, postmodern enough to believe that we're only excited matter here because the universe could make us and not for any particularly grand purpose. And whether we have another belief system alongside of that, that belief system sort of of the scientific age and our understanding of how, so to speak, little we matter, how quickly a microbe can get rid of us makes it hard to take ourselves seriously and yeah. we have to do that you know we have to do, we have to give life a thumbs up and say that while we are here we and our efforts matter it's that kind of language that will underpin a daily practice and renewed effort
1: yeah yeah while we are here our efforts matter yeah that and that really is yeah, I love, you're getting to sort of that underlying angst that I think a lot of people just generally have right now. Yeah,
2: and I think we matter even more right now. That doesn't say, of course, it's not easier now. That's a different statement. But I think we may, more, we may matter more now. Our activism may matter more now. Um, the things that we, the things that we invest in may matter more now. So even as hard as life is at this moment, that doesn't obviate our need to believe that we matter.
1: Yeah. And, and the steps we take and the practices we make. Wow. Okay. And with I respect- like this. I, there's
2: I was just going to say with respect to our own personality, we we may not be equal to, to the efforts we would like to make. And in my language, we then need our own personality upgrade. That is, we have to transform ourselves into the person who's equal to doing the things we say we want to do. And I have language around this personality upgrade, and it, it's the idea that personality is made up of three parts, original personality, formed personality, and available personality. And in that model, we use our available personality, our remaining freedom, so to speak, to deal with our stiffened form personality, because we are, we get stiff over time, and we find it hard to start new habits or do the things we intend to do, but we have enough available personality left so that we can become the person we intend to be.
1: Yeah, that's very interesting. I, you know, one of the things I'm curious about is, you know, you've written 50 books. That's amazing, more than 50 books. How how much did you struggle along the way with um, getting yourself, or is this something that you just have sort of gotten from the beginning and were able to just sit down and work?
2: I was able to sit down and work from the beginning, Um, and I also had a ghostwriting career in there in my 20s where you could give me the title of a book. You could name something, um, Making Meals Using Only Pepsi-Cola or something, anything, and I could write you a whole book on it in a month. (laughs) That was one of my specialties. I could write a book on anything in a month. So that was never a problem. What has always been a problem for every creative person is if you're working on a book that isn't available to you, then you can't actually write it. I've been trying to write about meaning and life purpose for a very long time. And, and in my early books, I couldn't really do it because I didn't understand yet what I now understand. So that's a, that's a problem for every creative person. I did a book with Jeremy Tarcher back in um, 1995 or something, um, which was going to be called Lighting the Way and which was about the stuff that I'm now writing about 35 years later Now I'm writing about it well. Back then I wrote about it poorly and they couldn't publish it. It was unpublishable because I didn't yet know what I needed to say. So that's true for every creative person. If it isn't available, it isn't available. You can't go to the store and buy it. You may have to just stick it out and wait two years or nine years or 14 years until it is available.
1: So how do you, though keep the confidence to know that it's going to come. Like, how did you keep going?
2: Well, for me, process is the magic word. I believe in process. And the reality of process is that only a portion of what we do is any good. That's the reality of process. No one who's in a creative field wants to hear that. But how many of Bob Dylan's billion songs are wonderful? 23, 38, 46, whatever the number is, it's a small percentage of the whole. And that's true. Beethoven. Pundits will say Beethoven's first, third, fifth, seventh, and ninth symphonies are better than two, four, six, and eight. Well, but you have to do eight to get to nine, you have to do six to do to seven to get to seven. The truth about process is we have to do everything that we intend to do, irrespective of whether a given thing works. So there's a dance here. I think you can hear the dance, and that is we want to have Mm -hmm. good thoughts about the thing we're working on. We want to be invested in it. We want to have desire for it and hope for it. At the same time, we have to not care if it works or not. We have to be perfectly okay with spending two years on a novel that ultimately falls flat. And I'm pausing there for for emphasis because we have to be really okay with that
1: reality. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where that would be hard. <laughs>
2: it's, really, it's really hard.
1: I don't know if I could do that.
2: I know. There's, a, there's almost no one who won't beat themselves up at the end of those two years and say, I was an idiot. Why couldn't I make this work? I've read a billion novels. Why can't I write a novel? This that and the other thing. And what they have to say instead of all of that is, oh, process. <laughs> that's the mature and wonderful place to get to. Oh, process.
1: That's so funny. Yes. And I, and I guess for me, just in going through the business phase and, you know, the little things that I've done for a long time, my chant was fall down seven times, get up eight. Because it was just like, okay, that didn't work. Okay, here I go again. So I guess that's what I was doing.
2: (laughs) Yep. And there's another interesting piece here. And that is It's very hard to get to one's creative work during the day for the following reason. All day long, we're supposed to get things right. That's natural. We're supposed to drive on the correct side of the road and pick our kids up at three and mow the lawn and this and that. It's our job to get things right. Then somehow there's supposed to be a time during the day where we have this permission to make big mistakes and messes. That's the creative process. It's very hard to move from the one place of needing to get things right To the other place of having real permission to make mistakes and messes. Not easy to get there. That's why I try to teach clients the idea of ceremonial bridges, the idea of creating some ceremony that allows you to go from your normal brain that's supposed to be getting things right to this other brain that has permission to make
1: mistakes. Wow. So do you go into all this kind of thing in your book? Because I I didn't have the chance to read it, which I'm unfortunately, which was unfortunate because I love these. um, They're just very different ways of looking at things, at least. Um, Different
2: parts are in different books. Of course, all of the things about daily practice are in this book Mm -hmm. about dealing with the anxiety of the creative process. Uh, One, you should go to a book called, book of mine called Mastering Creative Anxiety. Then for the big worldview bit about life purpose and meaning, I would recommend a book of mine called Lighting the Way, which just came out maybe two months ago, the book just prior to The Power of Daily Practice. Between Lighting the Way and The Power of Daily Practice, um, a person would get
1: a pretty good idea of where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And I've looked around with some of your stuff. Well, I find this fascinating. I, I, and it's inspiring because it really is a, such a shift in focus, but it's a shift in focus of like, okay, we're looking at the process. It's okay. Just keep going. Yep.
2: And, and that's why, to answer the question you asked earlier, isn't it demoralizing to look this in the eye? No, it isn't really. I think it's inspiring to finally say this is the process and I mean to stick it out because it's important to me.
1: And that's exactly it. It's like, it is inspiring because you're just saying, no, I'm going to do this just because I'm going to do it. And I want to do what I say I'm going to do. And we'll see what comes out of that.
2: It's exactly right.
1: And trusting. I would add a little bit of trusting that even if the, the thing itself isn't ultimately what you want, you yourself are growing exactly and right. getting something from it. Yeah. yeah, powerful. Okay, well, can you remind people again where they can look up some of you and some of what you've done and find out about your workshops and all that sort of stuff?
2: Sure, the main place to go is my website, ericmazel.com, dot com, And also there's my blog on Psychology Today, rethinking mental health it's had several million views people like the blog post there so that's another place to go
1: um, well thank you it has been um, a joy to to talk to you and uh, you know I just love when I ta- the opportunity to talk to people and really start to see a different reality or see reality in a very different way um, and I'm hoping that other people listening got got some of that too thank you for having me Yes, thank you. Listeners, I so appreciate you for being here, for showing up for yourselves. And until next time, go out and remember that you do hold the power to change and transform your world.
0: Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to SuperpowerExperts.com and take the superpower quiz today.